0: You're listening to Oxide Film, written and directed by Matty O'Donovan and Tom Sand. Hello and welcome to Oxide Film with Tom and Matty. How are you Matty? You're looking slightly exhausted there.
1: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm very tired but very excited about the film we're going to review this week. Uh, which is Monos. It was fantastic. Yes. We'll get into it very soon. Yes. We'd just like
0: to say apologies to our listeners uh, for missing out a couple of weeks so far with Oxide Film this term. It's been a slightly eclectic, hectic one. For both me and matty for reasons i can go into very briefly but yeah i was actually filming on the crown the netflix show yesterday Mm -hmm. and that was a lot of fun but i had a fitting for that last week so it's just been quite a a busy time yeah there we are
1: but back back to the program back to the program dude schedule programming at at its finest yeah yeah. man we'd like to
0: once again give a massive thank you to the phoenix picture house in jericho for sponsoring our episode we got our tickets complimentary to see monos this week and we're so grateful for those guys. Go along to Picture House. It's a wonderful venue, super comfy, amazing place to see movies. It's got a really nice indie roster of films with the biggest releases, but also a slightly more cultivated taste in there as well.
1: Definitely. And, you know, I, I don't think we can speak the praises any higher. But uh, also, it's a great venue for uh, re-releases of films on their anniversaries. So when we went to go see Monos this week, I saw that uh, Eyes Wide Shut is coming back in uh, the Picture House. So do check it out. Thanks again
0: for the tickets. Yeah. A Kubrick film I haven't actually seen yet is Eyes Wide well, Shut. there I you show. go. You can, um, you can, I've you seen go almost see all the biggest ones, but I, I've been scared to watch it. I've heard about the Tom Cruise orgy scene. I don't really want to... I'm I, kind of worried about I that. I think there are bigger
1: things to fear in this world <laughs> than a Tom Cruise orgy scene. Well, uh, but moving swiftly on from that, <laughs> um, shall we jump into this week's uh, film? Let's go for it. So yep. we saw
0: Monos, the Monos. Colombian uh, Spanish language film directed by Alejandro Landes. Um, about a group of basically child soldiers in a remote mountaintop who are looking after a hostage from America and a conscripted milk cow. So yeah. that's a premise that kind of barely does anything to describe the actual movie because it's 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 so difficult to work out what to say to, to talk about the plot before we go into massive spoilers exactly. or just because the movie is is insane and fantastic but, but very very bizarre. Weird watch <laughs> yeah, should we have a clip? Let's launch. Into it, yeah. So actually, because it's a Spanish-language film, we thought it's better to uh, play some music from this one. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to play the title track Monos by Mika Levi. Hope you enjoy. by Mika Levi in the soundtrack of Monos. Um, So we hear already a very kind of strange, beautiful mixture of sounds going on here, um, which Mika has managed to produce and detail the film with in in a lot of very special places. Uh, So it's really hard to work out where to start with this one, because there's so much to talk about. To be Um, honest,
1: I I think starting with the music is a good idea, because uh, a lot of films get given the label immersive... Uh, but this really does dial it up to about 10. And uh, if anyone has seen something like Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin, they can see the work of Mika Levy in creating that kind of deeply embedded atmosphere for what is a horrifying tale, as I'm sure we'll, we'll fi- find out in due course.
0: Yeah, so actually it's, it's interesting because both are movies um, that Mika Livar's written music for, so Monos here, but also I Never The Skin from 2014, mm-hmm. directed by Jonathan Glazer, who's going to do another film next year. They're both, yeah, they're both very disturbing films and very weird films narratively, and, and they, they flow very strangely, and, and they both have a lot of strange sexuality going on with them as well yeah. that we'll get into very soon. Um, but I guess we'll start off with some kind of trivia about the film, because there's so much to, to unravel. I did a lot of researching afterwards. I found out that according to wikipedia there are two locations they used in Colombia to film that had never been filmed in before because of the extreme weather and i'm not going to try to pronounce the the names of them um but because in the movie we see raging rivers massive forests all sorts of stuff going on and there's so much realness going into this because it's all about guerrilla warfare and child soldiers and i would say a more hollywood film than this would go into what it's like and the horror of being a child soldier and the moral implications and that this movie has this but it never focuses on that it focuses on the dreamlike nature of of the characters and what they're going through and i think part of that is because it's so much as actual about the make the filmmaking process so uh wilson salazar who plays the kind of messenger character who comes to visit the children while they're guarding this woman and he gives them the milk cow and comes back at a later stage mm-hmm. in the film he was a child soldier from age 11 and he deserted at age twenty-four, and then related his experiences to the, the director Landes, whose family members had also been kidnapped during guerrilla warfare. So his his cousins, that kind of thing.
1: So there's there's certainly a strong element of realness to the story, and I mean it's interesting that you bring up the kind of slightly more Hollywood take because there's undoubtable parallels between this and something like Netflix's Beasts of No Nation, and there is a sort of almost didacticism and morality tale that comes with stories of child soldiers that often makes it less interesting than it can be. And I think this film sidesteps that in a very clever way because it starts talking about why these soldiers are being disciplined and what power means in the eyes of soldiers who are still very much infantile.
0: The the, the age range, I would say, is something like from between 10 and 18 yeah, is what I would say. Um, Yeah, the Hollywood thing again is interesting because we have um, the two Guardian uh, writers who who reviewed and talked about this movie. So we've got Alex Godfrey describing it as like Lord of the Flies in hell if yeah. Lord of the Flies isn't already a hellish experience. Oh, and
1: there's certainly that scene in which one of the the members of the group, Smurf, as they all given ridiculous names, as you'll find out in the film, betrays the group. He has a uh, He's tied up in a pig's head. Is put in front of it. Yeah, and that's an a, overt that's reference. That's an overt reference
0: to Lord of the Flies. Yeah. And then also Peter Bradshaw called it "Apocalypse Now on Shrooms." Yeah. Um Quite <laughs> literally, because there is one scene where two of the characters two or three of the characters take uh mushrooms that have been grown in a cow pat. and yes. um, Left behind by the cow that they give it. Shakira. Uh, the, Shakira cow, the, the cow. The exactly, yeah. yeah. It's it's got a lot of fantastic names. So yeah, the groups called things like Rambo, Bigfoot, Smurf, Boom Boom. Boom uh, Boom. So they are me all these childish names, but that is strips away their identity and and only gives them the identity of how they relate to each other which is integral to how the group works yeah. so ultimately it's a film about group dynamics and seeing how a group when it loses members changes or when a group when discussions of power become different or, or reactions to power start shifting yeah how that group starts changing
1: well you can, you can understand the the likening by Peter Bradshaw and, and ourselves, I think when we came out of the cinema about it being similar to Apocalypse Now Now like Apocalypse Now is one of my favorite films, but one of like the very distinct parallels is the loss of soldiers along the way until there's literally no one and a slow unraveling and I think um this film does that should I say better uh and that's coming from someone who's an ardent, ardent fan of Apocalypse Now. Um, I was just blown away by that that, that dynamic between the uh, child actors. I mean, I, I don't think all of them were. So the sort of de facto leader later on in the film, uh, Bigfoot, who's played by... Um, uh, Moises Arias, yeah. who
0: was in Hannah Montana. Yes, of yes, he was. So he's done quite he, the character arc in terms of his... Uh, he
1: he was in Hannah Montana. And as I said to you when we came out of the cinema, he was also like one of the bad guys in Ender's Game. Uh, which is a very is a there's guilty pleasure of mine and I don't know why my mind jumped to that but um, he's a very talented actor yeah. and I certainly hope he's in more yeah. sort of things like this he, he does a
0: lot in this one um, yeah. because basically there's a leader that ends up not being around anymore yeah. uh, after maybe 20 minutes of the movie and slowly but surely his character Bigfoot assumes the leader position and becomes a voice for the independent of the group independent of the apparent organisation that they're working for we have Literally given no context to anything. So this this messenger comes along and trains them every so often. Talks to them about what they're doing. They change location every so often. But apart from that, we just have no clue as to who they're fighting for. The left or the right. We have no clue what country they're in. It's completely unnamed. So it, it, it allows us to dive right into... what's what's most important in the film which is the dynamics between these children and how they relate to each other
1: it it certainly makes it difficult as well to describe it to someone over sort of like a show like this because it, it you're right that it you get thrown into the middle of it and also the narrative isn't as concrete as things that we previously reviewed in the past on on this show um but it's those dynamics between these children and and for one thing that cropped up in a lot of the reviews that I, I was thinking at the time, and I didn't know how to quite articulate it, is, despite the fact that some people gain more power among the group, all of... There's a fluctuation between ch- uh, perspectives, as in all of the members of this, like, cohort of child soldiers have moments in which their characters develop and feel the repercussions of what's going on around them. And I thought that shift in perspective, like, quite frequently was such a refreshing aspect to this film because it 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 meant that we weren't leaning too much on one perspective that might have dragged on if this film just focused on that you know mm,
0: yeah and i think what is so impressive about this movie is that they managed to convey the importance both of the group's cohesion and of the group's members yeah. with a lot of things so obviously the title is based off of um the apparent the mythical giant monkey called mono grande which is meant to have existed somewhere in South America. Um, So Monos, collectively, they are a a group of these powerful mythical beings, basically, and hence they're given sort of cartoonish names in some sense. And I actually thought it was going to be from the Greek Monos, meaning alone. um, Yeah, we see,
1: see, different reviews picked up on different interpretations of that. So arguably it can be both of those things in the capacity because they are a stronger group, group together, but they are also... At a certain point in the film very much detached from the wider military organization that they so previously belonged to
0: yeah exactly And they the, the sense of isolation that that their locations bring so in some scene or well, early in the film they're on this mountaintop filming with a lack of oxygen so the parallels with the apocalypse now are so prudent because of the grueling nature of the shoot so yeah. the actual director was taken off on a stretcher one day they had limited rations of food They didn't sleep very well.
1: Is this in Monos? Yeah, Yeah, in Monos, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because there's there's very similar stories that went on with the ridiculous production of Apocalypse Now, as in they shot that in Manila, and I think they had to do it over three stages due to it both being a monsoon season, and several members of the um, production team contracted rabies, and one of them died. And actually, I remember reading a book by Peter Biskin about this, and some of the scouts for the locations that were locals would wear numbers on the back of their shirts so that if they died, they would be able to be identified. So it was that insane. So you can kind of see like the end outcome does have a similar vibe yeah. to it, you know, and it, it, these these parallels are are, are very much legitimate i knew it was
0: nightmarish for apocalypse now but that's even further yeah, than I thought, yeah, cause, yeah i mean that that even gives it a parallel to heart of darkness one scene in the book that is based off by yeah. joseph conrad one scene in the book there's this horrendous bit where they find a, a black guy's body washed up by the river and it's, it's very throwaway comments have yeah. given about it um and that scouts of the numbers kind of reminds me of that that's, that's yeah. awful um but this yeah this film no one died, thankfully, but there was a lot of difficulty and a lot of harsh environments. And I was watching an interview with the with the actors about this, and, and Moises Arias was part of this. Yeah. And they said, you know, it was amazingly difficult, but, you know, they were still acting. And it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like they were going through this as some kind of pilgrimage or something. You know, yeah. Yeah, they had a job to do, and they were there to do it. So I think a good, a good springboard to talk about this film is, um, <laughs> oddly... Martin Scorsese's comments about Marvel. So recently, we've had this massive kerfuffle about Martin Scorsese calling Marvel's movies not real cinema, um, which is a you know ultimately is a day to take, and you can see where he comes from because he wants to preserve cinema as this holy thing. But the reason why it comes up for me is that Monos, this movie, is the the most authentic piece of cinema i think we've reviewed so far on the show so i think for me aretha franklin's amazing grace the movie we reviewed a few months ago which is about the concert that she recorded in the 70s for her album was fantastic and, and possibly the closest i would say that came to this kind of different different mode of cinema i would say um and by that i mean purely in the sense of of cinema that strips away the sense of personal existence. But so do we went... do,
1: you, do you find that to be a, a different experience? Because with Amazing Grace, there was this sort of meticulous drive towards authenticity, the lip syncing, well, to recovering the audio footage that was scrambled um, when Sidney Pollock originally took it out, was at the helm. But, you know, that that is still very much a documentary. Uh, do, do you find the authenticity here in Monos is a result of the atmospheric creates of feeling like a really sort of visceral... Experience of a jungle or whatever location they find themselves in, because not to be a cynic, I I adore this film, but it's in an unnamed South American location, and it yeah it does feed into the experiences of its director and some of its actors, but we don't know specifically what it's pertaining to in terms of an actual conflict.
0: Sure. So I think what I mean most by by the comparison I made to Amazing Grace is that with both these movies, you just sink into them completely. So with the Aretha Franklin one, it's like you're in the audience, basically. Mm-hmm. You're kind of there in in the moment of, of the recording and, and, and of the singing, basically. Mm-hmm. And you're, 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 you're... As a viewer, individually, you kind of vanish, yeah. I would say. And then with this one, you vanish into the jungle with the soldiers. So it's a different kind of vanishing. Uh, but hopefully, the kind of quite pretentious point comes through. Because, yeah. you know, we've watched a lot of films that we've really enjoyed, but they all, in some sense are movies that we can see as just things that we want to go to see in the cinema um whereas with monarchs it kind of it expands beyond that a bit be- for me and with apocalypse now I guess it's similar mm. because both these movies almost force this this vanishing of the spectator and it yeah. just becomes this this thing that exists on its own it is it, it's like it doesn't need you to be there yeah. to exist
1: i th- i think by merit of the fact it's so grueling it it, it does Adds to those layers of immersiveness. Um, I mean. And just going on from that. So we mentioned previously that. There are parallels with Lord of the Flies. Now in Lord of the Flies. The, ch- the children. Like slowly descend. Into some animalistic barbarism. Uh, but previously. Try and adopt some forms. Of what they consider civility. The conch etc. So the parallels here are not superficial. But they're not. Com- like, completely verbatim um, in Monos, because what I think works so well about this film is, and I think we're going to go into slight spoiler territory here, but I think it's crucial. You see the slow sort of d- disciplining of each individual member of this guerrilla force, and then you see them falling to the wayside when other indulgences get in the way, be it through alcohol, be it through sexual relations which I know we'll get onto be it through other forms of hedonism that comes with being with people of your similar age and then about at the midpoint um, when they've kind of gone off the grid uh, and hidden away from the organisation and that's all that we're told about the wider military group they find themselves in do not know where they are and then their messenger comes back and disciplines them through gruelling exercise but at that point in the film uh Bigfoot uh as a sort of de facto leader you understand why he's ag- aggrieved by this encroachment on his authority so you get every following action he does every thing he does to protect his own survival and that's when it reaches pu- pure apocalypse now homage because um after they spoilers once again kill the messenger they literally clad themselves in mud and dirt and basically become more animalistic and you see that exactly happen with Marlon Brando's Colonel uh, Kurtz in Apocalypse Now uh, but it works because you know why they've done that because they want to feel like this disciplined military unit but not beholden to anyone else. Yeah
0: the yeah, animalism is definitely a very prudent point and obviously that kind of feeds into the title of Monos if we're going to take it to be about Monogrande yeah. the monkey um, because from right from the get-go we have this yeah, this interplay between them being trained by the messenger and them seeming to in- were like that and, yeah. and it's causing them to bond more. But they have their own rituals. So one of the first questions we get in the film is, um, Wolf, the first leader, asks if he can enter into a relationship with Lady, one of the other characters. Yeah. And the messenger says, I approve of this bond or something. Yeah. And then once the messenger's gone off again, they have this crazy ritual they dance around a fire and and they're all basically blessing the bond between the two characters yeah. and that it's is It's very also... matrimonial yeah, yeah exactly
1: in a, in a sort of their take yeah. of it
0: and that's all and that's consummated as well and we see these rituals later on, there's a birthday ritual where they, where they thwack a guy 15 times um, to oh, celebrate I his, love his that birthday. because yeah.
1: basically you see them starting to beat him and you think he's done something wrong, only for you to realise they're giving him birthday beats, which I thought yeah. was just really good because yeah. people do that now. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: there are loads of places where we just see these crazy crazy rituals that seem to have been <laughs> invented by the characters yeah. for themselves, and this sense of bonding between them, and that's obviously ritual and dancing around fires, very animalistic stuff going on. But it's a testament partly to the amazing preparation they had for the movie, but also the the project coming out and, and coming out well in terms of trying to show you this group that are a group first and foremost. And you do know the individual members, but it's very easy to forget who's who because yeah. what is important is what's happening and where they are going together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: for sure. Moving on from that then, I think one of the sort of moments i think we both appreciated was the kind of depiction of quite like quite forthright and frank honest sex scenes in 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 this film because as you mentioned there is a consummation of this marriage between or union between wolf and lady but that's the tip of the iceberg for what is like quite a sexually charged tale as much as it is about you know survival and about military dignity what did you think, of yeah. you think about that? Basically, I I think the sexuality in this
0: movie is just incredible. There are lots of very very different sexual encounters going on, which is which is part of why it's so good. Um, so we have this consummation. We have a scene where there's a three way kiss, um, between characters of one of whom is a, an unknown gender. So Rambo is a character actually who I thought was a guy in the movie, and so I think it's a it, you yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, Rambo is played by Sophia. Werner Ventura, and the the confusion of gender that we both experienced with this character, I think was in 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 sense a goal of the director because Lander's called the film post gender and the the, the character post gender of, of Rambo, uh, and I love that, um, and Rambo is actually the last character we see on screen, yeah, um, and so that that's continuing the sexuality of the movie is continuing the project of the movie as. as post-gender, post-binary, because yeah. chaos is not binary, and post-meaning, ultimately, <laughs> but at the end of it, because it, it it is this chaos, eventually. So there's the, the, the strangest sexual encounter we have is when the younger girl of the group is guarding the hostage, um, called Doctora, who's a female engineer from America, and the engineer is kind of an older woman who is trying to persuade the girl that they can go back together, and if the girl agrees to escape with the hostage then she will give the girl what she wants in in a new life basically yeah and they kind of come together and they sort of embrace and then that girl starts kissing her neck and they're both obviously desperate and craving for this physical contact and it, it becomes sexual after a few seconds but then they kind of draw away immediately and then kind of the girl is laughing through tears yeah trying to work out what happened and the Engineer is very confused and a bit disturbed as well
1: I think I think that element of sexual confusion is something that lynchpins a lot of those kind of scenes in this film. I think the very fact that they are still decidedly quite innocent or naive and the engineer character is not but she's been placed in a sort of infantilized position of prisoner to these kids, and so is just as equally confused. Um, a few reviews did cite Larry Clark's um, *Kids* as a kind of parallel film in terms of the depiction of sort of sexual relations between young teenagers in that capacity, which I thought was interesting because I'd never find any of the scenes in this film as purient and licentious and slightly immoral as what you see in *Kids*. Uh, everything seems to make some kind of internal sense as to why these characters are feeling confused about the situations they find themselves in and therefore there's a very like deep sense of honesty but interestingly because they are a group it's not like anyone's really fundamentally tied to any of the others so there were a few comments that are made where it's like oh now I want to be with this person or there's a scene later on where Bigfoot as, as I mentioned as the de facto leader wants to um, sort of consummate a union with Lady in the wake of spoiler Wolf's death, uh, but she's more interested in Boom Boom, who's another boy within the group, and so there's that kind of interchangeability and that kind of free, free flowing sexuality that was really rewarding, or I felt felt very, very truthful. Mm. I know what you mean, actually,
0: and there was definitely the, the sense of the honesty and the and the in, infantile nature of it is obvious because they are children, um, but it's also just. It's just so. It's just such great filmmaking because it is all about this these dynamics between characters that are so obscure and they're not described and not really explained with anything. There's no voiceover explaining the actions. There's not. There's no kind of lingering action where we are given proper reasons as to why people mm-hmm. are acting that way. We're just we're expected to understand it, which is really good because it's a sign of a filmmaker who knows what he his message wants to be and isn't going to stifle the mess the, the film with it but is going to hope that his viewers will get that. And again, to go back to his own comments on it, he's talked about the movie as trying to break any binary notion of of future and past, of man and woman, of paradise and hell, and to try and get something more in your stomach and through your skin is is what he talks about, And, and like a dream. And the paradise in hell comment as well is also very pertinent because you know they enjoy their lives. There's no sense that they are uh, that they don't like where they are, apart from in the final third of the film when we have a couple of characters who want to escape and want to get away because they realise this is not for them. Or one of the characters, yeah, Rambo ends up at this house because he gets caught by this family while the father's um, diving for gold in this river. Yeah, that that all goes south as well. Um, but I just yeah, there's so much about this film that that is this this whole sense of non-binary, which we obviously tend to understand as a sexual orientation, mm-hmm. but it covers so many different grounds because it is a film that dedicates so much to its own chaos and its own identity as this unnamed group who, in a forest who are just living through instruction, but then eventually through instinct.
1: I th- I think the reason... i i I like that following into instinct as in sort of descending into this kind of tribalistic very strong at the heart group is in part because the way i see this film the the overarching theme is one of emancipation i think it's one of not just letting go in the sort of anarchic craze sense that you might find like a Um, a Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now or or a losing of your mind. It's more of an emancipation from the restrictions of a discipline that you no longer think applies to you. And accompanied with that is a slightly reckless nature of just being young, um, uh, which I think adds just this different dimension to this film. I think if this was done in the exact same way, but with slightly older... Actors, maybe not quite adults, but slightly older, it wouldn't work in the same way because that like combination of naivety and the need to feel like independent in the face of like strong discipline is what makes everything hit home so hard. Mm. It's what makes that scenery beautiful. Actually, that's a really good side point that we should move on to. In terms of cinematography, this film oh, is just like this saturated but beautifully idyllic and somehow at the same time a horrifying picture of uh, unknown South American landscapes that vary from mountaintops above like misty clouds to literally within the thick shrubbery of like a rainforest and it just switches between them with like utter ease and as I said to you when we left the Uh, cinema, usually when I get a visual metaphor, I'm like, well, cut it quick. You know what I mean? Like, if I've seen that, don't let it, like, prolong any longer than it has to. But this film, I just wanted to take in every single, like, establishing shot of a landscape because it was just so hypnotic to watch.
0: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And actually, there's one scene that I was thinking about when you were talking about that, which is near the end of the film when they're chasing one of the characters down the river. Mm -hmm. They're literally filming in a torrential river and i have no idea how they managed to capture that really it was just fantastic there's a lot about actually a fair amount of underwater action going on in the film um but that is a good point the cinematography is fantastic and to move on from that actually monos is for me a different kind of audio visual overload yeah. so if you take kind of you know think about the classic action thriller that has a set piece with music accompanying it to make it kind of a more overloading scene Monos is doing that kind of in a sense the the reverse of that because our our brains are fried not because of a complete overload audio visually but because of a disjunction between the set piece the action that happens and then yeah. the music that comes in different points and the music I feel like is tends to pertain to the characters emotions and their mental confusion I suppose or, or sort of mental activity going on yeah um and there are a couple of moments where the action does collide with the music but that only comes much later so. This whole thing chimes with the idea of the film being like a dream because dreams are neurologically overwhelming, but they're also confused and disjunctive. So we've got this 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 disconnect between the action that we're seeing happening and this music that is pulsating. And you heard earlier from Mika Levi, just strange and alien, mm-hmm. and I think meant to characterise underlying hum of nature that's going to end up bursting out because we are in nature the whole time
1: definitely and i I think i do agree with you in the fact that there is an absence of it at moments of like complete and shocking violence followed by a sort of sobering realization of oh this is only going to get worse that is given through the music and i i think you can see similarities as well with under the skin which as we said was also uh scored by Mika Levi in terms of that kind of slightly otherworldly nature to the, to this kind of the score and um how it does kind of juxtapose against some really horrendous scenes that just sort of hit you and and stay with you and you keep going down that hole with these kids. Yeah. Um so it's just an absolute delight and I'm not one to indulge in oh award season f- things should get this, um, but I really hope this doesn't go overlooked, especially in terms of original score. Uh, if it if not at the Oscars, then at least some recognition because it is stunning. Yeah, it has it has
0: got a lot going for it. Yeah, and I think generally it we're definitely in agreement that this this film is very much it couldn't be anything else but a film, mm. which is why in a sense it's so hard to talk about it and describe what it's really about because. Kamo talked about it as being, it has to be seen to be believed because it is just so hard to say. And I just, I just was so impressed by it, its fluid sexuality, its fluid notions of of what it means to be following orders and of what it means to. Live in a group, yeah, um, because you know it, it, it's so funny that they're completely isolated from society. Then at the very, very end, we see a kind of landscape shot of a city, yeah, with a helicopter flying over it with one of the characters. Well, it, it's, it's,
1: it's a little bit like at the end of Lord of the Flies when like the um pilot comes and rescues the kids, and they've gone from these absolute savages to like bawling in tears because they realize that they're returning to the civilization. It's kind of like that moment that snaps people out of it, but you don't know by the end of the film if the others are going to fall out of that, like you only it's all cast in doubt. Yeah. Um, I think on that note, we should probably end there. What I will say is, like, m- more earnestly than any film that we've spoken about um, on this show, people should go see this. Like, I just checked the box office numbers for this, and it's made like five hundred thousand. And like, of course, it's it, it's an independent film. It's it's not gonna. And, and it's it's. I hate to be say this in a disparaging way, but it's also a foreign language film, which does stifle a lot of potential audience numbers but it deserves so much better than that and uh, I hate to think it will become one of those underrated gems that just sort of sweeps past us as we move into the the tail end of the year because honest to god it's one of my favorite films this year yeah loved it yeah absolutely loved it and I don't want to say any more because I don't want to dilute the atmosphere the the immersion that you spoke of because there are rare occurrences when you go see a film and you think wow, I, I feel like I've gone beyond just a spectator looking yeah. at a screen. There feels some, like, stronger, more embedded connection there. Mm. So people, go, go watch it. It's on at The Picture house now, which is a lovely way to <laughs> promote them once again because they do show films like this that you probably won't be getting at, um, like, The Odeon or... Gotta sound like an old person. Go <laughs> yeah, to the yeah, Odeon. But but you know what I mean you're not going to get that kind of stuff. And it's like I'm not someone who's like just a, a massive advocate of oh just go see art Fowl's films they're superior anything like that. But just have a nice balance because because yeah. this film deserved
0: it. Yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah. It's a amazing cinematic experience and mm-hmm. it really is a, a piece of film. And reading up about it was really rewarding because I could I could learn more about how the process was and what I mentioned about yeah. it being very grueling. But first and foremost, it's this thing that like i said doesn't care if you're watching or not i yeah. feel it, it, it's something that that exists so independently weirdly of of the viewer because it is all about this getting lost in the jungle like apocalypse yeah. now um and like all of the flies get, get lost in a sense of identity yeah and but not caring because the characters for almost all the movie are kind of blissful and they're having a a great time really Uh, there are moments of anguish a lot that kind of gather through but generally they're they're not in need of anything else apparently and and it's a film that doesn't show them as in need of comforting or parent figures or getting back into the arms of society and not being child soldiers anymore and exploited it's not about that at all I would say it's about this amazing sense of bond that they have and an exploration of what it means to be human when it's all stripped down
1: yeah Okay. So
0: that will conclude us for Monos. Do yeah. go see it; fantastic movie and and really a, an experience to to be had and to mm-hmm. take delight in. Should we move to quick talking about other movies that we saw recently. Yeah. I'll talk about El Camino soon. Okay, okay do you want to cool. go first?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, perfect. Um, so yeah, uh, this in the interim between this episode and the last one we did on Joker, I went back to the Phoenix House to go watch uh, the Lulu Wang Lu directed and written family okay. drama. Uh, The Farewell. Essentially the premise to it, as bizarre as this might sound, is that this Chinese grandmother does not know that she is dying from a terminal illness, i.e. cancer, because her extended family um, have kept it from her to spare her from the kind of fear of knowing she's going to die. And so Billy, played by Wakafina, is an American-grown granddaughter of this grandmother who comes back to China to see her one last time under the false pretenses of a fake wedding. So that's the bizarre kind of conceit yeah. to it. But it's a lot more of an intimate affair than that. It's got some really beautiful character moments. It's an exploration of sort of shared family grief, but also some really absurd comedy because, as you can sort of figure out, the grandmother doesn't know she's dying, so therefore she's kind of a bit perplexed as to everyone's... Um, concern over her and their consternation um and there's some sort of amazing interplay between her and the rest of her family and it's a it's kind of a bizarre level of dramatic irony in it because she's constantly worrying about the welfare of everyone else not knowing that she's suffering from this illness and it's just got these really lovely nuggets of sort of familial interplay between different characters of the family i won't go into them now because i think you should have that luxury when you go see the film and the other sort of overarching theme to it is um at times slightly heavy-handed but really important thematic clash between eastern and western values about family and duty and what you decide uh to tell your family and where you place yourself within a, a family of like is it high is it a hierarchy is everyone sort of on the same level should you be telling them those things should you be honest with them give them time to grieve um it's it's really lovely and um i i just kind of felt like it was it was a real nice warm hug of a film for something that was so clearly about death so the farewell lulu wang she based off her own personal experiences and it was serialized into an episode of this american life which you can listen to we can drop a link to it in the bio but uh, do give it uh, watch because it's it's really sweet and it's yeah. just like endearing and fantastic. quite quite intimate.
0: It was in the running to win the Palm Door this year, isn't it? Yeah. And the parasite ended up. Yeah. Uh, parasite ended up winning the Korean drama that sounds fantastic. I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing it. Me um, too. But yeah, no, it sounds like a very sweet film and something that is again skirts a, a good line between comedy and 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 yeah. sad drama. But, it's it's a little bit like
1: yeah. when we went to go see uh Late Night. It is like that same kind of level of engagement you kind of like you like it you like the themes in it but it's 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 just it's a nice experience for the time mm. that you watch it I okay think.
0: sure sounds good um so i took my time with netflix uh, a couple of weeks ago and Ooh. saw el camino yeah um which is the breaking bad movie spin-off kind of epilogue to the show uh and it basically focuses on jesse pinkman in the aftermath of the events of breaking bad yeah. and where he ends up going what his what his kind of mission is over the film to mm-hmm. to Trying to escape basically from everything that he's gone through uh and I, def- I won't go into spoilers at all because it there's a lot going on there uh and basically i would say that it is a movie that re- is it doesn't rely totally on it but it's very much you get so much more out of it if you're breaking bad fan yeah um because it follows on directly from the ending of it and mm-hmm. there's so much um trauma and everything from the end of of the show that will inform how you feel about it i thought it was great i mean i I thought it was a really good way to epilogue the show give it give it a proper farewell in some ways and just um aaron paul who pitched as a is really really good um it's got a lot of a lot of dark humor that i didn't expect was going to happen i thought it was Mm going to be more straight down the line drama but actually from vince gilligan the writer and director of most of breaking bad such a good who's a fantastic writer um i actually commend him quite a lot for not to deciding not to just make it a brutal dark drama the yeah. whole way through there is a lot of that but it's... it does it, it does have the comedy that you kind of need um and it's it's yeah it's got a great it, it's got a couple of just fantastic zinger scenes yeah there's a fantastic kind of westernized stylized scene yeah that ultimately is serious but it's really enjoyable to watch yeah and Just, yeah, it's it's a great combination of pretty much everything that makes Breaking Bad really good. The characters are really well-written and really well-acted. The writing is brilliant, which is what I just said, lol. Um, But that's fine. Uh, And it looks fantastic. It's got a lot of lovely shots going on. But at the end of the day, it brought me back to, in a sense, how I was when I finished Breaking Bad, which is a show that I love dearly. And by the end of the film, you have this sense of wanting to sink back into your chair and kind of take it in yeah it's probably the 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 soundtrack choices there's a great um there's a song called static on the radio that they and they to play at the end we'll link we'll link we'll link Uh, yeah link it (laughs) in the description which is which by the end of the film it just puts you in a really contemplative mood which is exactly what breaking bad did yeah and there's a really great podcast i'll also link in the description called kino lefter yeah which is a kind of socialist commentary podcast that does film reviews yeah. as the centre of the thing, but looks at films on, with, with a strange lens. They looked at Joker, which is a really good episode, but they also looked at El Camino and talked about the worker-boss dynamics that happen between oh. Jesse Pickman's character and uh, and Todd, yeah. uh, who's a sort of very scary guy, yeah. um, but it is a very funny and interesting character to watch more of on the screen. And so that their lens was... Was that relationship mm-hmm. um and how that's abused in a lot of american
1: places De- definitely yeah and i mean like you know that like we both love better call Saul, which is of course the prequel yeah. series that underrated came so so so, so underrated yeah. and definitely do give that a watch because that is like the perfect example of a prequel spin-off series that like deserves to be what it is um one question i will ask without spoiling anything in the slightest because i will watch this this week um I was sort of told that the ending is a lot more of a sort of subdued coda kind of to the whole Breaking Bad franchise. It's not something big and explosive in the same capacity. I, I, am, I, am I on the money there?
0: The ending isn't explosive, but I think it is what it needs yeah. as a coda. In, in and, and that's where the music comes in as well, because the ending needs you to bask in it a bit. Yeah. And, and that is what it's going for. It's not going for climactic action no. which was okay, never going good. to be um, and there is climatic action at points okay. but it's not the end no more, so, no, yeah. more. No, no more yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. I, I will definitely watch this because yeah. um, oh, day, uh, day one fan of Breaking Bad yeah. and I just love everything things yeah. Gilligan does so I think on that note we should probably conclude things yeah. there yeah, yeah we'll stop things there yeah. but we enjoy the discussion about Monos because yeah. it, it really is worth
0: seeing and it, it does bring up a lot of things definitely. And, I, and it was I was so happy to be thinking about something so broad as sexuality in movies yeah. you know Michael Levi with the soundtrack I think is, is a very sexual soundtrack yeah. and that comes in with Under the Skin as well um, and you know it, it's the kind of conversation that I, that I love having about these films Yeah. Um. so do go see it if you can and El Camino is on Netf- uh, Netflix for any point to yeah. see it see Breaking Bad obviously amazing show yeah. and Better Call Saul but we'll leave things there I think yeah. now um, hope to catch you next week thank you so much for listening and goodbye Bye. you've been listening to Oxide Film thank you and good night